Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. I am truly honored to welcome our guest for today's episode of the AJ Bruno Show. Charlie Duke is a retired Air Force Brigadier General and astronaut who had the distinction of being the 10th man to walk on the moon on Apollo 16. General Duke, it's great to speak to you. Thank you, AJ. Good to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you. So when and how did you decide you wanted to not only be an Air Force pilot, but later on an astronaut as well? Well, uh, I started out at the Naval Academy. I fell in love with airplanes. Uh, and uh, I so there I decided I wanted to be a pilot. And back then, you could go into the Air Force from the Naval, from the Naval Academy or West Point. So I volunteered for the Air Force and uh, was selected uh, with pilot training. Uh, this was uh, way, way back, 1957, I started flight training. Loved flying. It was just a really thrilling, great job as an Air Force pilot. After I went back to, the, of course, the space program started about 1959, 1960 was our first flights with Alan Shepard. Then uh, I, uh, I went back to MIT to get a master's degree, and at that point uh, I met some of the astronauts who were involved uh, at the present time at then uh, monitoring the development of Apollo Guidance and Navigation System, which I was working on as an MIT student. And uh, so they enthused me so much that uh, I said, that's the job I want. And so I started planning with the test pilot school. And then a year after I graduated from test pilot school, uh, I got selected for NASA. Uh, and so started my career in 1966. So it was just sort of a, a several steps from here to there. Uh, and uh, was a, a great adventure. Great. So before you underwent your own mission, you were on the astronaut support crew for Apollo 10 and served as CAPCOM for Apollo 11. Can you elaborate on your role in these? Uh, yeah, the uh, support crew job on Apollo 11, uh, I mean Apollo uh, 10, uh, was to uh, uh, help the crew uh, to get things done that they didn't have time to do uh, as, uh, as they were training. So we were sort of gophers, you know, go do that, go do this, uh, help uh, I was on the a team that developed the uh, lunar module procedures for uh, lunar orbit, uh, the activation, checkout, descent. Uh, it's a big job, and as a result of that, I was in mission control as CAPCOM uh, on Apollo 10 uh, and uh, for the uh, lunar orbit uh, events that included activation of the lunar module uh Descent, ascent, rendezvous. Well, uh, that whole team uh, went over uh, to Apollo 11 
though I wasn't on the support crew for Apollo 11, uh, Neil Armstrong asked me to continue on as the Capcom uh, for uh, Apollo 11 on the next mission. So we trained uh, in mission control, but the whole team that had been there for Apollo 10. Uh, and uh, the Apollo 11 uh, was not only activation, checkout, descent, but it was the question called as the actual landing. So it was a very mm-hmm. friendly job, very exciting uh, to be in mission control during that very historic mission. Fantastic. So what was your expectation in terms of being chosen for a lunar mission, and how did things change when you were selected as a lunar module pilot for Apollo 16? Well, everybody thriving to be selected. Uh, we probably had 42, maybe 44 active astronauts at the time who were sort of in the mix for a flight. And uh, you really didn't know. You Everybody was hoping to get a flight, but you really didn't know what to do to get a flight as far, except work hard do the job that you were assigned and maybe uh, you would get selected. And so to this day, it was a real mystery to me how uh, crews were selected. I guess I could uh, uh, guess, but uh, there was no formal procedure as far as you do all of these, check all these squares, do all this, and you will get a flight. It was just... Hmm to do your job and hopefully your name came out. So everybody of course was eager to get a flight. And uh, back in Apollo days, uh, your first assignment was as a backup crewman. Uh, And the idea there was uh, to train two crews for every flight. And if uh, the prime crew uh, got uh, sick, uh, the mission wouldn't be canceled because the backup crew could take their place. Uh, so you just did your job as best you could and hope for the best. And, uh, I think as a result of Apollo 10 and 11, uh, exposure, uh, uh, I got, uh, I got selected as a lunar module backup pilot on Apollo, uh, 13, which then translated a, to a mission on Apollo 16. Mm-hmm. So I think some people don't realize the massive amount of field training you undergo between going to the Panamanian jungle for survival training, collecting rocks in the desert in the Southwest. How was all of that? The uh, survival training, uh, we had uh, two types. We had desert survival and uh, we then had uh, jungle survival. And the, the reason for that was if the spacecraft uh, in orbit or in reentry, uh, got off course and landed. It could land anywhere. And if you landed in the jungles, uh, it might take you a while, them a while to find you. So you had to know how to survive. And so, uh, the same in the desert. Uh, so we got that kind of training. The other field training that we got was basically geological, uh, uh, as uh, lunar module pilots uh, and commanders, uh, uh, you they wanted you basically to be a, prof, uh, a, a proficient uh, geologist. And so we, every month, approximately, we'd take a field trip somewhere to study uh, particular uh, rock formations. Uh, 
did a lot in Hawaii on the volcanoes. Uh, we did uh, the Western United States a lot uh, with uh, uh, the uh, rocks in those areas. And so it was a uh, good training. We got out of the office, uh, got to see some beautiful part of the, uh, the earth. And uh, so it was a, a, a good training. The whole purpose was to get you ready to, to know what kind of pick up rock, know what kind of rocks to pick up on the lunar surface. Okay. So you finally go on your mission. What went through your mind, not only as you left Earth and were on your way to the moon, but when you actually landed on the surface and stared back at the Earth, realizing it's the three of you there and everyone else is so far away? Uh, well, the lead-up to the mission was uh, it, it, we had a long training period. They kept extending the uh, the time of launch uh, because uh, they wanted to – get uh, the last three missions on Apollo uh, long duration missions in other words at least three days on the moon uh, and uh, to to increase our exploration capacity they put a car on uh, the lunar rover was on Apollo 15, 16 and 17 so with all of those changes to the spacecraft uh, and the development of the car uh, it was from the time uh, Apollo 13 flew in April uh, 1970, it was two years uh, before we got to get going. So the training was uh, 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 rigorous. Uh, it was um, uh, thorough. Uh, you got to a level of proficiency that you tried to attain, uh, maintain. So as we got closer, we got more and more and more excited, uh, and we were ready to go. And so when we strapped in on Sunday uh, Sunday morning and uh, 16th of April, uh, 1972, uh, our thought was, let's go, we're ready, let's launch this thing. And the uh, I was really anticipating a tremendous ride on the uh, Saturn V, it's a uh, Huge rocket, uh, still the biggest ever launched, and uh, so uh, with its powerful seven and a half million pound thrust first stage engines, uh, it lifted off this six and a half million pound vehicle with a lot of vibration. The thing that I remember is the vibration. The noise is not so much. Uh, uh, but the vibration was intense from side to side. And, and that lasted the whole first stage, uh, which in our mission was two minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, and uh, I had a thought or two as we were lifting off, you know, the vibration. It feels like something wrong with this thing. But uh, John Young, our commander, had ridden Apollo 10, the Saturn V, so he was very calm and said, we're go, and Houston, you know, of course, giving us a go. And so I just settled into the vibration, and uh, a minute after first stage, a little bit less than a minute after first stage shut down and separated, the boost protective cover came off, and so the windows are uncovered at this point, and you look down, and uh, uh, 50, 60 miles beneath you was the, crystal blue of the Atlantic oceans with some white puffy clouds is uh, really spectacular. The next event I remember is uh, vividly was uh, when we left earth orbit, uh, we,
we lost a call there temporarily. We will get Charlie Duke back on the phone. Um, and I think we lost a call. Uh, we did. Uh, yeah. I was in the in the midst of describing the earth. <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, it just went dead on this end. Said cold ended. So can we continue from that yeah, point? Yes, let's do that. You were taken off, and yeah. So uh, as we left Earth orbit, uh, we were um, uh, we turned our spaceship around, and into my window floated the Earth about twenty thousand miles away, and it was. Uh, breathtakingly beautiful sight uh the whole circle of the earth was visible and uh, we could see up uh, into the north pole region down across canada the u.s uh, mexico central america and uh, the gulf of mexico and the um, pacific ocean the eastern pacific and the three colors, the clouds and the snow were just pure white. The uh, oceans were crystal blue and the land was all brown. And that, call it that jewel of earth was just suspended in the blackness of space. And out in space, earth to the moon, there's no, so the stars are never visible. The sunlight's always shining. When the sun's shining, you don't see the stars. Uh, and so you just see the earth surrounded by this immense blackness of space. And it was, uh, breathtaking and all, and, uh, you didn't see any evidence of civilization from 20,000 miles away, but, uh, you could see basically, yeah, there's basically where LA should be, but, uh, and you could see the Houston area where it should be, but you didn't see Houston. You just saw the area. Uh, then we got onto the moon, and it was very dramatic entering into lunar orbit. You you have to slow down to stay in orbit, and uh, mission control gives you the exact time the engine is to start. You get it in the right position, and you're on the dark side of the moon, uh, so the stars have come out, uh, and you start to burn, and but the other way... Uh, you know, there's just a feeling of this of the moon nearby, but you can't see it uh, because it's in darkness. And once you get into into orbit, the engine stops. The computer says you're okay, right orbit. And then you have a few minutes later, you have sunrise, which is uh, very dramatic. On the moon, it doesn't slowly uh, rise because of uh, like on Earth, you start to see that sunrise in the atmosphere but on the moon since there's no atmosphere it's just bang there's sunlight and uh, long shadows and as you get around more into the sunlight uh, the dramatic backside of the moon was uh, very very rough Uh, and uh, and my thought was man I'm glad we don't have to land down there Uh, it's all, all craters uh, and, uh, then we, you know, spent a day in lunar orbit and, uh, checked out everything and got in the lunar module, uh, and 
uh, powered up and separated, got ready for our descent. And then uh, Ken Mattingly and the command module reported a very serious problem with the main engine. An hour before we were to land, he had to uh, change his orbit. And to do that, you had to power up the uh, main engine. Uh, and there was something wrong with one of the control systems on the engine. Uh, so John Young made the decision to abort uh, that uh, <clears throat> that burn, and as a result, uh, we didn't get to land. And so now we were sort of in a, an abort position where we would have to join up and uh, come home, which was, you can imagine, very disappointing. But mission control, again, saved the day, and, about four hours, they had come up with a workaround solution. And so the next time around, six hours after the uh, ignition should have been, we started our descent. And from there down, uh, things went really, really well. Uh, John selected a great landing spot in the Descartes Highlands and uh, touched down uh, with plenty of fuel and uh, upright and almost dead level and so we celebrated a, a landing on the moon with great shouts and uh, and wonder and, and excitement great so it's going to go as well so you spent three days on the surface of the moon and over 20 hours actually out on the surface was there a highlight of the entire time or was there a favorite spot that you visited well, I guess uh, you're right. We did uh, uh, 71 hours and I think 15 minutes actually on the surface uh, in the lunar module or outside, outside over 20 hours, as you said. But, uh, of course, the first steps onto the moon, the excitement of getting out the first time was uh, was uh, uh, very dramatic, uh, very exciting, uh, awesome feeling. Uh, though it was a hostile environment, you felt right at home. Uh, you recognized the major landmarks in your uh, landing area that you had memorized from study of the photographs that were taken on Apollo 14 of your landing area. Uh, the I, I think there's two things that uh, come on the second EVA. Uh, we drove south to a place called Stone Mountain and actually drove up the flank of the mountain a few hundred feet. And so when we turned the car around and parked the rover, uh, there was this beautiful valley where we had uh, landed called the Cayley Plains. And you could see all the way across the valley to the far horizon, which we had called the Smoky Mountains. And one of our objectives the next day was North Ray Crater, which you could see vividly. So that was a dramatic uh, uh, sight. Uh, you could see the lunar module sitting in this uh, uh, gray uh, lunar on this gray lunar surface, and the only color around was the uh, uh, was the lunar module. So other than the gray of the moon, very dramatic. And then the next day we traveled up north to the North Ray Crater, which was a a dramatic uh, event. There was uh, it was about 500 yards across, uh, maybe a hundred uh, yards deep. Very steep walls. Uh, you had to be very careful about approaching the side of the crater. 
because if it sloughed off and you fell in, there was no rescue. And on the uh, uh, on the uh, on the uh, not opposite side of that crater, but on the same side, but on about halfway around was a big object that uh, well, it didn't look so big when we uh, saw it, but it was a very dramatic rock. So I talked John into going over there, and we started jogging. And the more we jogged, the bigger the rock got. And uh, so it was. Uh, uh, we ended up calling it House Rock, uh, which I think was the biggest rock that anybody ever touched uh, up on the moon. And we were able to collect a small sample of it and uh, and then hike back to the lunar module. And so it was, I mean, hike back to the car. So it was a very dramatic uh, hour we spent out there at the uh, at around the North Ray Crater. So those two events on the surface were... Uh, probably the most dramatic to me. Great. Was there one thing from your mission that you achieved that you think was the most important? Well, I think uh, our landing spot in the uh, the Cayley Plains and the uh, Descartes Highlands, we were the only flight that went to the Highlands. Uh, everybody else sort of landed on the edge of the Mari or uh, in the Mari. And, from where Neil, Neil Armstrong's landing on Apollo 11 was the closest to ours. And between theirs and ours was probably 8,000 feet elevation. So we were up in the mountains of the moon, if you will. And uh, so the whole landing spot was very dramatic uh, for us. And uh, uh, and I think uh, those rocks uh, were unique that we collected uh versus uh, mostly volcanics uh, on the uh, Bari, where the other missions landed. So uh, uh, we were delighted to see some, they were delighted to see some unusual rocks and uh, we collected. And so we were busy collecting, uh, I think we had like 213 pounds that, uh, we, of samples that we uh, brought back to be analyzed. Wow. So, being on one of the later Apollo missions, I have to ask, uh, riding in that lunar rover looks like a lot of fun. Was it as fantastic as it looked like? Yeah, it was, the rover uh, was on the last three missions, and as I said earlier, it revolutionized lunar exploration. Because prior to that, you had to walk everywhere. Uh, so you got in the rover, you strapped in. Uh, it was uh, the moon is rough. The topography's up and down and cratered and uh, small craters and uh, little rocks. And so as you drove across the moon, you bounced a lot. Uh, and you you watched the the camera that I turned on the camera a couple of times, uh, not TV camera, but the movie camera, and, and it shows the bounciness as you bounce across the moon. Uh, you never felt like it was going to turn over. Uh, but it, 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 it was like driving on, uh, ice. Uh, the back end kept skidding around, but it had sensitive steering and it had double steering. So when you turn left, the front wheels would go left like a car, but the rear wheels would go to the right. So you could steer with both ends, which made it highly maneuverable, but also highly sensitive, uh, to a turn, especially if you were going with any speed. Uh, it was fun riding the rover. It bounced a lot, but we were strapped in, and uh, 
uh, I was the navigator as John drove, so I got to look around and at all the major landmarks. He had to keep his eyes basically on the lunar surface right in front of him. The uh, little lunar rover up on the moon only weighed 80 pounds, if you can imagine. Uh, so you could pick it up and turn it around if you if you got in a tight spot, if you had to. And uh, it was very maneuverable and uh, very uh, reliable and just a lot of fun. Uh, and we had fun driving the rover uh, or riding. I had fun riding the rover as John drove. We got uh, a uh, speed record that I think Apollo 11, uh, 17 also equaled. So uh, it was uh, 17, at least 17 kilometers an hour or 11 miles an hour at least. That's as high as our speedometer went was 17. And a lot of times we were, we were clicked over to the 17 stop. And I know we were going a lot faster than that. So it was a lot of fun, bouncy, but fun. Wow. So some astronauts have said they've seen strange things they can't quite explain. Did you have any sightings like that during your mission? Uh, no, no. Uh, not uh, ex- externally. We saw nothing outside uh, the spacecraft, either uh, in Earth orbit, or going to the moon, coming home, or in lunar orbit. Uh, nothing unusual. The only uh, uh, things that we found unusual, which they was seen mostly on every flight, was we called them light flashes. And it turned out uh, we had an experiment to uh, on Apollo 16 to discover what these particles were. Uh, it turned out they were cosmic radiation, and when they hit, uh, they came into the spacecraft. Uh, they and the ones that hit your either retina of your eye or the optic nerve would cause a flash. Uh, it was like a fireworks display going off inside your eyeball, uh, which was uh, very dramatic. Uh, but those were natural phenomena. It wasn't uh, alien beings or us getting zapped by some death ray or something like that. So, uh, uh, and uh, it was quite a show when you really focused on them. And uh, since we're outside of the Van Allen belts, uh, we got uh, you know a full dose of uh, solar radiation. Uh, but it wasn't enough to be debilitating over 11 days. Uh, sure. But the the light flashes were uh, spectacular. Wow. So we're at the last couple of questions here. Um, after your Apollo 16 flight you decided to become a committed Christian. What was it about this experience that had that profound of an impact on you? Well, uh, it was not necessarily the fight. Uh, it was, uh, I guess, human nature. I'd believed in God. We'd been involved in church uh, all of our lives. My, my wife and I took our kids to church uh, about every Sunday. Uh, so we had a respect for God, but... Uh, for me, uh, Jesus was just uh, Sunday morning, and after that, you know, I'm in charge. Well, at 37 years old, Apollo was over. Uh, I climbed to the top of my career, and the thought occurred to me, what are you going to do now? Uh, we were having some marriage problems. Uh, we were I was a sort of a, a military drill instructor, dad, uh, explosive temper, no peace in my life, so... There was a lot of things going on in our in our lives that uh, 
didn't represent the all-American family. So uh, one weekend at church, about two years, two and a half years after the flight, we had left NASA, uh, and uh, we were uh, 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 no. At this point, we were still at NASA, but my our ch- little church had a, a a weekend called Faith. Uh, had a uh, a Faith Alive. Anyway, she came to the Lord there, and two and a half years later, I experienced. Well, that's what I needed. She had, I she experienced peace, joy, love, everything uh, that I was seeking, uh, and so I gave my heart to the Lord, and that changed me and changed our family, changed our direction. Uh, and I look back now, and I see the heavens declare the glory of God. That's so great. it was a. Uh, uh, that was basically the story in a nutshell, and we're still serving the Lord as uh, we travel around the world. Fantastic. So finally, before we close out the show, I know you're an advocate of going to Mars. Are you disappointed by what's been achieved overall since going to the moon, and what are your hopes and expectations for the, ch- for the future of space, space, excuse me, space exploration? Well, I think the uh, space shuttle uh, was a tremendous program. Uh, the space station is uh, giving a lot of uh, data. And I think it looks like to me we're focused to return to the moon, which is I, I'm all for that. I think we should go to the moon to develop systems that will last uh, months and months and months. And uh, then from there on to Mars. So that's what I'm lobbying for. Great. And um, finally, I was also wondering, uh, the last few Apollo missions were canceled. What did you think of that, and do you think that was a mistake looking back? Looking back, I thought it was, uh, from an astronaut point of view, it was very disappointing. Uh, I could see the politics of it, but I wasn't for it. Uh, We had a lot to do, a lot to learn. Uh, The moon is not homogeneous. Uh, and we had very reliable equipment, and uh, so the astronauts were disappointed that it uh, 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 that it that we didn't continue. But uh, we saluted smartly and said, "Okay, let's we'll start working on a space shuttle," and uh, and that's what we did. Uh, though uh, uh, we felt like we should have continued, but uh, that was uh, above our pay grade. So uh, we just got in step and started working on Space Shuttle. Great. Oh, I want to thank you once again for your time. It was a real honor to speak to you and you know, hear everything you had to say. Good. Uh, J.J., thank you very much. I uh, enjoyed the uh, interview. Uh, uh, and all the best to you, okay? Thanks. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. And that's our show today with Charlie Duke. Really interesting interview with him. We'll be back with a new episode next time. It'll be hard to top that one, though. It was really uh, wonderful to hear everything you had to say. So until then, this has been A.J. Bruno for the A.J. Bruno Show. Thanks, and I'm signing off for now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.